Storytelling saves the world. Storytelling saves the world. With Jessica and Georgia and all their friends, you never know how the story's gonna end. But storytelling saves the world. Storytelling saves the world. Welcome to the sixth episode of Storytelling Saves the World, a podcast where you can find out more about integrating student movie making into your classroom. I'm one of your hosts, Jessica Pack, and I'm here once again with my fabulous storytelling partner in crime, Georgia Trelawhi. Hi, Georgia. Did you know there's only nine days left until Christmas? Hi, Jessica. Yes, I am totally aware that Christmas is fast approaching like a high-speed train. Are you a holiday nut like I am? As in you're like already putting out the milk and cookies for Santa Claus or? Um, Oh, oh, the cookies are for Santa? Uh, My bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I have started to listen to Christmas music on a continuous loop in my car and at home and everywhere. So yes, I'm, I'm in the Christmas spirit. Fabulous. Well, for listeners who may have just stumbled onto our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud, Georgia and I are bringing a range of experiences to the table. I've been teaching middle school for the last 15 years, and I'm also a California Teacher of the Year. And I have 31 years of classroom experience at the elementary level. Yes, I started teaching before the internet and actually had a real chalkboard. And I'm currently an instructional coach. We're both, we've both been using digital storytelling in our classrooms for more than a decade. Our common denominator really is that we're also both teacher consultants for Digicom Learning, which is a nonprofit that aims to support and encourage digital storytelling in the classroom. So it's kind of great of them to sponsor our show. You know what else is great, Jessica? What, Georgia? We have our favorite guest host and fellow Digicom teacher consultant with us again today, Julie Barda. Welcome back, Julie. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here again. What are your holiday plans? Lots of rest, time with family, and just time to sort of uh, rejuvenate for the coming year. And unplug the alarm clock. (laughs) Unplug the alarm clock. I love that. Um, Julie, I don't know if you caught our last episode, but we actually have some amazingly talented student filmmakers, and they visited the show. They shared about their inspiring stories, and we realized that one of the commonalities of their work had to do with family. That's right. Both the students' journeys were extremely inspired by and supported by their families. That underlying human element is something we've discussed before. The most compelling stories tug at our heartstrings and provide beats that we can relate to. So since we all have families and making digital stories about them can be a natural fit for the classroom, today we're going to talk about how to set students up for success when we are telling those family stories. So Julie, any initial thoughts on storytelling with family? Well, I think before you begin with any storytelling with family or anything that's going to delve into student emotions, you have to obviously have a safe classroom environment. So students have to feel comfortable um, in the space they're in, that they're going to be um, safe when they're telling those stories. Because a lot of time the stories are really uh, emotional and they involve some trauma. I, I agree. And they have to feel safe in the classroom. They have to feel safe with us as the teacher. Mm-hmm. And that... I know in in my classroom we had worked all year before we got to you know like months as far as a classroom um, sort of dynamic of being kind to each other when we watch each other's movies you know to give critiques and to give kudos so that by the time we got to some of these personal stories 
that dynamic was already in place in the classroom. Yeah, I think it would not be um, one of the first things I'd start with as a digital storytelling teacher. It would be something that comes later in the year or maybe after Christmas time, actually. This is like perfect timing, right? So once you have that classroom culture established and kids feel safe. What do you think, Jessica? I know you've had, had your kids tell some really amazing stories. I think you're right on the money with the classroom culture piece. Um, it's really tough for my kiddos because they're in middle school, right? So middle school is already super awkward. And I don't think anyone has like an awkward free middle school experience. Like if we think back to how our experiences were collectively, I'm sure there are some cringeworthy moments. Um, or completely spaced out of my, my memory bank because I don't want to think about them. <laughs> right. It's like traumatic enough that you blocked that it all blocked out. It out yeah. um, but I, I definitely think that you have to have a feeling of safety in the class just also for kids to be brave enough to want to tell their story. I don't think it's just necessarily the reaction component, but the the do I want to actually share this with the world component. And we all know that the more um, compelling stories are the ones that are the most personal in nature. So sometimes kids are dealing with really complex emotions and experiences and I think it takes a certain kind of bravery. And you can foster the bravery, but it has to be done really intentionally. And, and it has to be the student's choice. Because I, I know with the, with Enrique last week, I mean, I really, I'd approached him early and asked him to just think about telling his story. Because I knew that was something that it had to be his choice and his family's choice. And then it was kind of like the right time. Like everything fell into place. He felt good about it. And we sort of went from there. I think the family component is super important to have the family on board, especially if it's a touchy subject. So for example, last week we had a visit from Nikki and she talked about her movie Limits, um, which deals with the subject of immigration and open borders. And, um, you know, particularly when you're talking about something like um, illegal immigration, that can be a real hot button topic to begin with. But when you're putting faces to it on film, there's a fear level kids have to deal with and families. Um, they're not always willing to necessarily put themselves at risk like that. So you have to find a way to tell the story that is protective of the people who need to be protected in any given situation and that everyone who's involved is comfortable with that. Nikki actually had wanted to make that story her seventh grade year and couldn't come to an agreement with her parents about how to tell it. So she saved it for her eighth grade year when they finally kind of hit on the idea of it just being a global issue instead of one so personal to specific faces in their lives. But she was able to use that personal experience to sort of shape her global story. So one hundred percent, I think that made it more engaging and compelling. You know, as she kind of like marinates on it for that year, she takes all that emotion and then tells her story rather than just sort of like you know we've talked about you know like the reports and projects that are sort of you know, like robots that aren't as interesting. That's so true. And like by the time you're ready to tell a story like that, you've been thinking about it for a year, like it is important to you and you will put all the effort in the world into it. So I, I completely agree. Which I think is one of the super fun things about doing this kind of thing is, ha is watching kids become passionate about a project where they do put all the extra time and effort into it because it's an important thing for them to say. It, you don't always see that with kiddos, you know, with schoolwork. This, these kind of projects bring out a whole level of engagement that is sort of hard to like put your finger on, but they do, like they think about it all the time. 
Julie, you had a student project a few years ago that I remember to this day because I was so impressed with the storytelling that was involved. Um, and it was kind of some, some immigrant experiences from, from some of your students, right? Yeah, it, it wasn't their, they weren't telling their immigrant story, but they were telling their first day in school story as, an, as a, a non-English speaker. So um, and we're, we weren't touching on the uh, topics of illegal immigration or anything like that, but definitely an important topic for our population of so many of our kids start school not speaking English and how they came to kindergarten, how they felt, and then how they evolved. And by the time they were telling the story, they were in eighth grade. And they were all doing really well and they were on their way to high school and they were on honor roll and um, just really successful. So it was such a touching story to see success in the kids that are sometimes, uh, you know, really struggle when they're in school. So that was a great opportunity. But I want to also comment on the idea of somebody sort of sitting on a story for a while. And I think if you have the um, opportunity to work with kids um, loop with them in some way, whether it's through ASB or Digital Storytelling Elective or something like that, I found that that's a really good way where you kind of hear kids talk about something but they're not ready yet. And I have like a little place I keep those notes. And so I have some kids with me this year that said some things last year and when I approach them like, hey, this was really interesting, you brought this up. And I didn't think they were mature enough as seventh graders, they were just kind of mentioning it. And so I kind of have this little like notebook on the side of some stories to like bring up with them again and then maybe they'll be ready to tell that story in a more compelling way a little bit more mature way so i think it's important to let them sit on it a little i love the idea that you have this whole little log off to the side at your desk somewhere where you're like keeping track of your relationships with kids essentially like are they are they ready emotionally to be in a place to tell this? Do they feel safe enough? And just that they were even like throwing it around or talking about it in the first place, that really says a lot about the comfort level that you've established in your room. Yeah, they definitely have to be comfortable to start, you know, sharing those stories uh, with their groups. And I think sometimes their stories aren't their stories yet. Like I find kids talk about um, topics they're passionate about. Racism. Like I have a girl right now uh, working on a PSA on racism. She's just not sure really like the angle to go at. And um, she's talking to other kids and having them tell their stories of how they have felt, um, uh, how they felt like when they were treated differently at school because of their race. And that's now empowering these other kids to tell their stories and to help shape and form the story she really wants to tell because she wasn't really sure what direction to go in. So that's another way, like just find a, topic kids are passionate about and then see if they can find those personal connections whether it's their connection or another student's connection and i love how like all of this storytelling just brings empathy between students because you know as jessica has mentioned in your middle school too you know it is not necessarily the nicest place to live but even in elementary school kids can be mean mm. and having that sort of playing field leveled like you were talking about the students first day of school and they don't speak english and there are students that maybe don't can't empathize with what that is but they have kids come in their classroom like that and they see a story that talks about that it may spark something in them to give them a little more you know kindness and grace towards someone that is experiencing all of these really difficult things i mean i I mean, even as an adult, I would not want to be thrown in a class in a language I did not know and have to try to figure stuff out. And we get kiddos in kindergarten and first grade that have to do that. I mean, talk about grit. 
Well, and there's all this layer of what happens at home, right? And how that affects kids and, and what type of baggage they're bringing in the room. And then how others perceive that baggage and choose to treat them based on that empathy that you're talking about. I had a student um, probably six or seven years ago, and she wanted to make a movie about a cousin who drowned, actually. So she was coming into class and was, you know, super not herself, very, from my interpretation, lethargic and looked always on the edge of tears. And I was just like, what's going on with this child? And once I talked to her about it, I found out that her cousin was in the hospital and had um, drowned in their pool. And oh, wow. it was like a whole ongoing saga. And I was like, why are you at school? Yeah. Why are you not home processing this? And this little girl was like, well, I, I don't want to get behind. So I talked with her and she ended up staying home for about a week. But she came back from that week, like ready to talk about that story and tell it. And so kids have these really complex emotions and issues that they're dealing with and I think it's really cool that storytelling can be a way to help them process all of those emotions like grief is not a simple thing no right adults struggle with that all the time but being able to make a PSA to help others fence their pools and keep an eye on their kids and it only takes a second that whole idea was really empowering for her in a way to sort of deal with the grief and also reclaim um reclaim her backyard essentially and her family and have it be a safe space again and uh, tag teaming on stories of grief i i wanted to mention that we um at the elementary school where i was teaching we did a family engagement saturday to encourage parents to come help kids tell stories so we had we just sent a letter out and asked parents you know to bring pictures and video clips and we would help them shape their story and you know edit it and get it into we video and we had a student that at the time was in third grade whose father had passed away the year before and I had had her sister in my class the year that it happened so you know sort of knew the journey on his medical journey he'd been on and she a year later she really wanted to do a video to honor her father and had pictures you know all of her growing up and really wanted to talk about her dad and it really helped her process it and then we showed it at an elementary film festival and her family was able to come, and I think that really helped her through the grief process to honor her father and have something to hold on to that told his story. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that the process of any of these digital storytelling um, units or opportunities the students have where they're dealing with um, complex emotions, it definitely helps process it. I mean, I've made some in training as examples, and. I still have the words of my voiceover ring in my head when I'm afraid to do something because the last line of one of mine was take a risk, change your life. Talking about a moment in my life when I took a risk and sometimes that even comes back to me as an adult and it's like the words of my own voiceover, you know, as a 35 year old when I made it and now that comes back to me, you know, and I'm like, okay, Julie, take a risk, change your life, yeah. you know? And so I think we're leaving little nuggets for them to, um, hear themselves again and again, positive affirmations, positive words of, from themselves later on. So we know why storytelling about family is important, but if we're getting into the nuts and bolts of how to structure it, I mean, what needs to happen to be able to create this perfect storm aside from having that positive classroom culture? 
So I think it's important that you give them the opportunity to brainstorm lots of ideas and not um, limit them to something very specific that you're looking for so that they can really find something they're passionate about because it is going to take them some time and effort, right, to put in the work to it. So you want it to be a story that they really feel that is like it needs to be told. So I think that that initial brainstorming um, phase is more important than even writing an essay because you really want them to get into something and to narrow it down because I think scope often is the problem like they take yes. on way yes. too much way too much so getting them to narrow down to something that's manageable for whatever grade level you teach and if it's a beginning type of story you know like a one to two minute should be plenty but to get kids to hone down on what they want to say in one to two minutes and really like get them to focus on that story and and you as the teacher editing it down with them to get to the the theme the message that they're trying to get across I, I think that's kind of why um, I uh, chose to do the family engagement day to get the parents involved too because especially the smaller kids because we're talking you know kindergarten through fifth grade really wanted them in on the conversation of what family story they wanted to tell mm -hmm. so that's kind of why I chose to go that way um, but I definitely agree with you about like honing it down and even with parents sometimes you know it's like yeah we we have this short amount of time yes. we need to tell the story and we don't need to know every single detail unless it's moving the story forward we all have that one friend who tells way too long of stories so <laughs> i i think as like people maybe that is our default mode yes. I, I don't know if that's a product of social media and having like captive audience syndrome but i know that was even before social media which i was around before social media <laughs> so i had a friend that we used to say when they were telling a story um either give me the michener because james michener used to write these giant novels yeah. or the o henry who used to write short stories so we would kind of joke with her, okay, we need the O. Henry version, please, because I don't have time for Michener today. That's fantastic. Um, I think maybe even before the brainstorming, having kids understand what makes a compelling story is probably important, and watching a lot of really compelling, great stories told within the time limit mm. so that they can even start thinking in the right direction so that you're not getting a lot of surface-level topic ideas, but you're also helping them realize what is actually the scope of story that can be told in two minutes because two minutes goes really quickly yeah so you have to really kind of hone those important nuggets that are moving the story forward and and just as a whole kind of makes sense so do you um do you show some of your videos from previous years to your new kiddos? i do yeah we have a really robust youtube channel and so they've all already been on it at some point or other or daily or you know yeah. whatever um but I actually have like a, a Freyer model for what makes a compelling story. So we do that together as a class. And then they have this whole list of examples. And so they pick one example of a compelling story and they write down some thoughts about what exactly makes it compelling. And then they break out into groups according to which story they were looking at as an anchor. And they have that discussion about why this worked so well. And inevitably, because they're all really strong examples, not only of story, but of filmmaking as a whole, they start having discussions about how certain information can be communicated by the visual that you're showing, and it doesn't actually have to appear in your script. Right. Show, not tell. Yeah. And fast, so you're not wasting your two minutes of storytelling. So I think as with any project, the planning aspect makes yeah. it much more manageable, especially like within a core content area. You know, we're still teaching all the things. Yes. So 
like how, how do you really make that work and I think that the planning component is important and then just watching good examples and like you said the 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 total brainstorming where it's like bad idea factory right. everything you've got and then starting to narrow it down intelligently yeah, and I think looping back to the fact that we're doing this in language arts a lot of us I mean breaking down a compelling video story certainly is the same as breaking down a piece of literature so you're right. building those skills using video but it's still uh, language art standards that you're using I wanted to ask you on your Freyer model what are the parts of it how are they different from like a vocabulary word Freyer model so in one quadrant we have characteristics of a compelling story that we all brainstorm together and then we have an examples quadrant where I pre-link some examples and then they can add to the list of uh, compelling stories. We have non-examples that they actually go and find on YouTube and even on our channel, there's some non-compelling examples. Um, and then the last quadrant is to make observations about that anchor video and what made it compelling. So, I mean, it's a modified Freyer model, yeah. but it's the <clears throat> same general idea that we're trying to define this very nebulous idea of a compelling story so that it's a little more understandable for them so they have more intelligent filmmaking. Sure. Just like we want them to be intelligent writers, so we show them good pieces of literature, right? <laughs> and, so it's and, like bad it's, and bad pieces of writing. And like the different ways of doing it. And so it's just such a great um, segue right into language arts and back and forth in an interesting way. Jessica, do you have any examples you could uh, share on our website? Of Absolutely. Stories? Yeah, I'll post some compelling stories. Then I actually have a lesson plan I wrote for the Digicom Learning Teacher Portal so that you can take that lesson plan and use it with your kiddos to help kind of define what a compelling story is. So, yeah, show notes are going to look good this week, All everybody. Right, robust. Definitely go and visit that. So with our discussion, I, th I feel like it's wrapping into the 5 and 60 time, Georgia. It is, and I think this time, because we've we've done this with Julie twice, and we um, I don't want her to roll her eyes, so she's going to ask us, we, ha we get enough of that during the day. <laughs> I can't take it from my friends. Um, Julie is, gonna ask, is going to ask Jessica and I some 5 and 60 questions. Does that sound like a deal? It sounds like a deal. So should we get the timer ready? Yes. You guys want to time? I will time. I All feel right. like that is a good job description for me. Okay, you tell me when. Okay, ready, set, and go. All right, Georgia, what flavor of ice cream do you binge eat when a digital storytelling project goes wrong? Chocolate chip mint. Jessica, Netflix or Disney Plus and iMovie or Wii Video? Disney Plus and Wii Video for sure, Zs. Georgia, what's the most inspiring digital story you've seen lately? Well, I think I'd have to go back to Enrique's because I had to rewatch it for putting last week's podcast together. So lately, if it's in the last week, it was Enrique's. Nice. Jessica, what is your favorite part of the storytelling process? Definitely editing. I'm kind of a nerd about that type of stuff and like continuity and all that. So sign me up. All right, both of you, what is the most surprising thing that you have discovered about yourself as a digital storytelling teacher? I think for me, especially when I was taking my kids on the road to film stuff, often is um, being able to problem solve in the moment when there was no time, you know, you couldn't refilm, you know, at a later date. And I mean, I always knew I was pretty flexible, but I think I stretched myself to a whole new level um, of like rubber bandness and uh, keeping calm in the face of like a seeming crisis. I'm always surprised at the ability to manage chaos, and uh, sometimes it's pretty chaotic. I'm sure everyone would agree. 
Oh, absolutely. A and being comfortable with that sometimes is fabulous. And then other times I'm sort of frightened by it. <laughs> All right. So that takes us to Storymatic Time, Georgia. Hey, my favorite time of the day <laughs> is Storymatic Time. You might need 12 steps for the not having Storymatic over the holiday break, you know? <laughs> we may have to, like, FaceTime each other or something. <laughs> I would actually be down with that. I feel like I'm getting a little more comfortable with oh, every iteration. <laughs> You, you don't have that look of dread like you had in the beginning when we started with this. You're Yes, yeah, so I appreciate that. I love it. Uh, are we ready to pick what part of the story we're going for? I, I think we are ready. Grab a card. Right. I have the middle. I have the beginning. I have the end. Okay. All right. Here, and uh, Jessica, will you time us? I will be the timekeeper. I feel like that's a great job for me. So on our story-matic, um, our... Brownish, beigeish card is a house cleaner, and our orangish card are monsters. So our story has to have a house cleaner and monsters. As an aside, I feel like both of these things need to exist in my house. Like, or perhaps or I maybe have the monsters, and, and I need the house cleaner. Yes, I concur. All right, house cleaners and monster. All right, so I left that day for work, and I knew my house keeper was coming and I was so excited to come home to a super clean house because that's always challenging when you have three kids at home and she arrived I got a text saying she had gotten there and she began her duties but soon after my phone was blowing up there was text after text about things all over the house that were very very unusual and suddenly she opened the closet and she texted me that inside there was a monster so I decided to rush home because a monster? Like either she has been imbibing in our little bar setup or perhaps there truly is something creepy, crazy, and crawly. So as I walk in the door, I see a set of slimy footprints leading toward the laundry room. So I carefully walk to the laundry room. I open the door and in the laundry room, is a raccoon that has come through the doggy door and has decided to take up residence in my house. And my housekeeper said to me, this is gonna cost more next time if the raccoon's gonna live here. <laughs> that was fantastic and totally worth the 15 seconds we went over. Oh, I love it. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for joining us for Storytelling Saves the World, which has been brought to you by Digicom Learning. You can visit them at www.digicomlearning.org or follow Digicom Learning on Facebook or Instagram. And hey, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud and give us a review. Our show notes can be found on our website, storytellingsavestheworld.com. Our next podcast will ta tackle... Our next podcast will tackle digital storytelling and science. If you have an idea for our podcast, please email us via the contact form on our website. We'd love to hear from you. Again, that's storytellingsavestheworld.com. Until next time, what's your story? 